Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the 50 Years Ago on Hockey podcast. I'm your host, Rick Cole, and every week I take you on a journey back in time 50 years ago and report on what was going on in the hockey and sporting worlds at that time. We're back this week with news from the time period of February 9 to 15, 1970. Now, all the work we put into this each week wouldn't be possible without the help of our sponsors. Newspapers.com, which is the world's largest online newspaper archive, has been instrumental in giving us access to the files we need to find the news from 50 years ago. And we're also sponsored by the Breakwall Brewing Company, located in beautiful Port Colborne, Ontario, makers of outstanding craft beers and presenting some of the finest pub food you can find in Ontario. Uh, They have wonderful pizza and burger specials each week, gourmet creations from their team and their kitchen. Anytime you happen to be in the Niagara region, get hold of me and we'll have a beer at the break wall. In last week's uh, show, some of the stories we discussed were a surprising poll uh, put on by Hockey Pictorial Magazine where NHL players rated the NHL defenseman ranking Bobby Orr ninth defensively in the league. Uh, We talked about some facts regarding a professional relationship between Joe Crozier, the Western Hockey League Vancouver Canucks current general manager coach, and Punch Imlach. Some of the facts uh, showed that Joe was doing some stuff his bosses didn't know about. And uh, we discussed if uh, in the 21st century, the NHL should consider hiring women as referees. Now, this time around, we're going to look at uh, the following news items. Uh, Number one, Scotty Bowman starts the week by shaking up his St. Louis Blues, who are in first place in the Western Division. We talk about a few more hockey people hit with criminal charges for various incidents committed uh, in games they were involved in, or sometimes in games they're, they're just watching. And we'll talk about a little bit of baseball news this time around, including an absolutely crazy baseball trade that almost, but never quite happened. And of course, we'll have all the news and notes from the past week, uh, 50 years ago. And so we'll get to it right away. Now the week started off 50 years ago with St. Louis Blues coach Scotty Bowman, he's also the general manager, deciding that his team, even though they're holding first place in the Western Division, needed some shaking up. Uh, Scotty had seen some undesirable habits creeping into the Blues game, and he decided it was time to give his players a dose of reality, Scotty Bowman style. Now, everything came to a head after the Blues were blasted 7-1 by the Boston Bruins on the weekend. The Bruins were pretty well the top team in the Eastern Division, and Scotty thought if his team was going to compete for a Stanley Cup, they would have to be able to compete with the Bruins. Bowman felt in this game in which the team literally gave up that some of his team members displayed a distinct lack of courage and in some previous games they had shown that they weren't willing to pay the price that it would take to win hockey games. So Scotty on Monday morning of the week took what he felt were steps necessary to rectify the malaise that seemed to be creeping into the team's personality. Another incident that bothered Bowman took place actually earlier in the week against the Pittsburgh Penguins, a team that Scotty thinks his club should be able to handle five games out of five every time. During that game, Blues Defenseman Barkley Plager, one of those rough Plager boys from Kirkland Lake, Ontario, had his nose broken when he was pummeled by three Penguins players and no St. Louis player came to Barkley's age or afterwards exacted any type of revenge 
on the Penguins players. The same thing happened again against Boston. And so when this all took place, Bruins taking liberties all they wanted against Wayne Mackey. You remember why they don't like Wayne Mackey. Mackey stood up well, but nobody else on Boston came to his aid. That was the last straw for Scotty Bowman. So Bowman on Monday morning informed players Andre Boudria, Ron Anderson, and Larry Keenan that they were being dispatched to the Blues Central Hockey League farm team in Kansas City. Bowman also recalled center Terry Crisp. He's a spark plug type of type of player, really strong on the forecheck, bit of a disturber when he wants to be. Uh, he called him up from the Buffalo Bisons. Now, Crisp in Buffalo had 15 goals, 30 assists, and that made him ninth in league st- scoring so far this year. So Bobby's hoping that maybe Terry Crisp might be able to add some offense as well. Also sent to Kansas City was forward Terry Gray. He's been out of the bruise lineup for the past couple weeks while receiving treatment for an injured knee. Now he's going down to Kansas City strictly to work himself in shape and Bowman hopes it'll have Gray around to play in the playoffs. Now the Moose didn't do much to help the Bruins or the Blues fortunes at least in the short term in the very next game which was against those very same Boston Bruins they lost 3-2. Game was still a little closer, and they did seem those little more compete to their game, but the changes weren't enough to get past a vaunted Boston team. But I suppose it was progress, at least of a, a short a little bit at this point in time. Now, here's one out of the Ontario Hockey Association Junior A Series. The president of that league is a fellow named Tubby Schmaltz, and he suspended Montreal Junior Canadiens coach Roger Bedard indefinitely for remarks he made regarding the officiating in OHA Junior A games. Bedard, who's a fiery type, not well-liked around the league, especially by all the Ontario teams, which makes up all except one. He said about the refereeing in the league, there's not a honest one in the league. Now, league officials felt that a language barrier might have actually caused Bedard's remarks to be misinterpreted, and the junior Canadians management asked for leniency concerning any suspension. Schmaltz said until he could make up his mind, Bedard was sitting down indefinitely. Well, he uh, took a few days. He considered the circumstances, and they did attach a little bit of credibility to the notion that possibly a language barrier made Bedard's remarks sound a lot less uh, or a lot more serious than what they could have been. The league finally did make a decision by the end of the week with Tubby Schmaltz announcing that Roger Bedard was going to be fined $300. That's a big fine for junior hockey. And he'd have to sit out eight Montreal Junior Canadiens games. Here's a nice story from the past week. The great, and I mean great, Gordy Howe has scored the seven. 150th goal of his NHL career. He did that last weekend. And now he's got his sights set on 800. At least that's what most people are feeling. Only 50 goals away from that magic level. You got to wonder how long Gordy can keep going. The rumors are increasing from different sources around the league that Gordy says or is considering at least that this could be his last NHL season. And even Gordy himself has at times acknowledged that the daily grind of professional hockey has from time to time started to wear him down a bit. Now I can just remember, it seemed like just a few years ago when Gordy scored his 545th NHL goal to pass Rocket Richard for number one on the all-time scoring list. And now we're actually thinking about 800. What a player, Gordy Howe. And what a season for John Ferguson of the Montreal Canadiens. He started out injuring a thumb in in training camp. He's had a couple of bad cuts. He's had some head injuries. He had an eye injury. And this week, he got hit again in the face, thanks to an errant puck. And he has 
incurred a suspected fractured cheekbone, and he's going to be out for at least the three games, hopefully not more than that, according to Habs management. The good news on this one is uh, they did an examination. They thought that possibly some serious eye damage had been sustained by Ferguson as well, but it looks like the eye is just fine, and after the... Uh, healing process takes place on that fractured cheekbone ferguson will be back although you got to think he'll probably be a little more reticent to get involved in the fisticuffs that he so dearly loves to uh, take part in and here's a really ugly injury story you, you hate to report anything like this uh, happening uh, this concerns the philadelphia flyers goalie doug favell and he sustained an injury not even playing the game this week and he's likely going to be out for the rest of the season because of it doug apparently was barefoot in the flyers dressing room after a game this week and there was some horseplay going on, according to reports that we've seen uh, in different uh, venues. Doug, uh, according to the trainer, this is the official story, backed away from the shower stall and his uh, foot made contact, the back of his foot, with a skate that somehow had been left in the middle of the floor in the Flyers dressing room. The blade sliced the Achilles tendon on uh, Favell's left foot, cutting it two inches deep. Now, the first report, as we said, mentioned horseplay, but a Flyers spokesman said, nah, it was just an uh, you know, an unlucky accident, nothing more than that. Trainer Frank Lewis of the Flyers said, it's one of the oddest injuries in all my years of hockey, but I can understand how it would happen because those skates are razor sharp. Right away, the Flyers knew that Favell's going to be gone for the rest of the year. He will go on to some rehab, apparently, and he might get some practice time and possibly into the lineup if the Flyers go far in the Stanley Cup playoffs. General Manager Keith Allen has gone into the minor leagues and called up uh, goalie Michelle uh, Bellumare from Charlotte of the Eastern League to serve as backup for Bernie Perrant. But the plan is if Perrant needs a rest, Bellumare will be sent to Quebec of the AHL and they'll bring up Quebec's number one goalie, a fellow by the name of Dunk Wilson. One more injury note for the weekend. This is another bad one that uh, of a team that uh, his club just can't afford to lose. Chicago's captain, Pat Stapleton, crashed into a goal post in a game this week against the Philadelphia Flyers, and he left with suspected torn knee ligaments. Uh, and the team was really, really worried that surgery would be required and Pat would miss the rest of the season. And with the Blackhawks nip and tuck to make the playoffs, they're really uh, worried that this could damage their playoff hopes. As it turned out, examination revealed that Pat didn't need surgery, but he did have ligament damage. So they placed the leg in a cast and the hope was that the uh, Complete rest for a week or two might restore his strength and allow enough healing to take place. The pack could be back before the end of this season. The trade deadline takes place in early March again this season, and teams are already start to uh, make inquiries and see what players may or may not be available. Minnesota North Stars general manager Ren Blair is desperately seeking a trade for his team. He doesn't want the North Stars to miss the playoffs this year, given that they built amazing momentum with some fine crowds in Minnesota. So he's seeking a trade or anything he can pull off to put a spark under this team. Now this week, Wren was spotted at the Montreal Voyagers American Hockey League game and, and he was allegedly getting a close look at two two Voyagers players that he's made offers on. Right winger Larry Mickey, you've seen Larry around the league with uh, different NHL teams, and a young defenseman by the name of Guy Lapointe. 
Now, LaPointe is a real comer from what we've seen, and he has a fine history, we think, in the National Hockey League, and the Canadians aren't likely to surrender either of those guys for anything that Ren Blair might have to offer. He would have to probably give up somebody like Danny Grant, Jean-Paul Parise, and uh, he doesn't want to do that. That's not going to improve his team and give them any better shot at making the playoffs. Another National Hockey League general manager closely examining the trade block around the the league and freely admitting he's looking to make a deal is the Flyers' new GM, Keith Allen, who, as we all know, replaced Bud Poyle last fall. Last week, the Bruins benched Ken Hodge for a game or two, sat him on the end of the bench, and uh, Allen got the uh, kind of the feeling that the Bruins were upset with Ken Hodge, and rightly so, Ken's play had been rather lackadaisical over the previous few games. So Allen, he contacted Boston General Manager uh, Milt Schmidt, and he made an offer for the big, hard-shooting right winger who usually plays right side on Phil Esposito's line. Allen said that's when he learned that the Bruins really weren't mad at Ken Hodge. Allen said that other trade talk around the league right now is actually pretty quiet at the moment. Keith said that even the lowly Los Angeles Kings, who seemed to want a week ago to trade everybody, have backed off from talking about dealing any of their players at this particular point in time. We still hear rumors that Bill White is going to get traded. And as far as we could see the way the Kings are going this year, anybody could be available from that team. One thing the Flyers were going to think of doing was making a trade of one of their spare one of their goaltenders, either Bernie Perron or Doug Favell, to pick up some scoring help. But now with Favell being injured, they're probably going to have to move somebody else, and I don't think they have a lot of strong players that they can afford to trade. Well, the Leafs, as everyone knows, is are have, they're having an awful season. They're near or at the bottom of the NHL standings for the Eastern Division most of the time. And rookie coach Johnny McClellan, he's taking their lack of success very, very hard. He's been bothered in many ways, but lately, not being able to sleep, one of the ways that uh, it's upsetting Johnny. But the other one, he's having a lot of of stomach troubles. At practice this week, Johnny's stomach was bothering him so much, he had to leave the workout and put Captain Dave Keon in charge of the practice. I think some of the players would rather have had Johnny back. Keon put the guys through a spirited workout, and he wouldn't take any guff from anybody. He had those guys working hard, and maybe that's just what the team's in. Maybe that was a plan of John's altogether. Different voice, a guy really respected in the dressing room. Maybe that could get the Leafs going a little bit, but... I think it's going to take some good players to put around guys like Dave Keon to get this team moving. You, you might remember we talked about the defenseman Dunk McCallum. Uh, he had, was with the Penguins in the early days of the franchise. Well, they're all early days, even now, just three years into it. Uh, Dunk was left unprotected last summer and picked up by the Oakland Seals farm team, the Providence Reds. But the Seals didn't bring Dunk to the big team. They left him in Providence, and Dunk said, I'm not playing in the American League for an American League salary. So... He quit playing. He started selling insurance in the Pittsburgh area. Well, I guess he may have been skating or playing in a beer league or something around Pittsburgh, but the Penguins uh, contacted Dunk. They contacted Providence. They made a deal, and they acquired Dunk's contract, rewrote it a little bit, made sure he got a, at least a, a minimum NHL salary. But Dunk is going to end up once again back in the American Hockey League. It turns out that he's not in as good a shape as the Penguins thought he might be, so they farmed him out to the Baltimore Clippers. That's their American Hockey League farm team. Now, he's down there to play himself in shape. He's probably going to play at least four games in Baltimore and then come back in time for the playoff run for the Penguins. The good part about this demotion, and one that I'm sure will cause Dunk uh, to think positively about going down to Baltimore is while in the AHL the Penguins are going to pay him his NHL salary good for dunk 
Now, another player was sent to the minors this week to get himself into condition, and that is defenseman Gary Doak of the Bruins. Now, Gary has been in and out of the lineup, spending more time on the sidelines than on the ice this season. He's had a variety of illnesses and injuries. Somebody thought he may have even had food poisoning at one point, and so he's been weakened by all this and isn't really ready to play the game. So the Bruins asked him, basically told him you're going to Oklahoma City of the Central League you're going down there for two weeks and you're going to get yourself in shape and you will get yourself in shape or you won't be back you can count on Gary Doak to go down work hard and he'll be back in Boston in time for the playoffs I'm sure Here's another health-related announcement from the Bruins Ted Green as you know he's still nowhere near ready to play well the Bruins announced that next week terrible Teddy Green will undergo surgery for the insertion of a plastic plate into his skull to further protect the fracture he suffered in that awful stick swinging duel with Wayne Mackey of the Blues during that exhibition game in Ottawa last September. Uh, Mackey and Green, by the way, still have criminal trials coming up for their assault charges that the Ottawa police slapped on the two of them for that awful boat last September. And and by the way, the Maple Leafs goaltending woes have continued. And when can you ever remember a team having the mess that they've had this year in Toronto and goal? Bruce Gamble has been the number one guy all along. And the Leafs thought they had two really strong uh, players to augment Bruce's skills. The great veteran Johnny Bauer still showed that he can stop the puck with the best of them, but at 45, nowhere near uh, able to continue uh, carry a big load. And Marv Edwards picked up from the Penguins, a career minor leaguer, who has shown he can play in the NHL this year. And as we know, both of those guys had been out with knee injuries, so the Maple Leafs called up insurance, another insurance salesman, Jerry McNamara, who plays for the Ontario Hockey Association Senior A, Aurelia Terrors. Now, Jerry's gotten into a game or two, but he's mainly been there so Gamble could play every single game. Jerry is not a National Hockey League goaltender at this point in his life, but uh, the one fellow, young fellow in the Central League that the Leafs were planning on using, a fellow by the name of Serge Aubry, damaged the shoulder. So they said we'll go along with McNamara sitting on the bench. Well, McNamara injured his catching hand in practice this week, and he's not able to, because his hand is so badly swollen, he can't get the catching glove on. So they went to call up Earl Aubry, just returning to the Tulsa lineup in the Central League, and guess what? Serge just about to get his big chance at the NHL, is hurt again. So his backup down there is a young man by the name of Ray Reeson, and he's coming up from Tulsa, and he's going to back up Bruce Gamble. The way things are going for the Leafs, I think what I should have done at that point in time was head to Hamilton and see if Pop Kaneski had a good set of use pads. Uh, Pop, you know, makes all the goalie pads for the NHL goalies if I get a cheap uh, cheap set maybe I could just hang around Maple Leaf Gardens and get a great seat to a game at the end of the Maple Leafs bench look like they could bring up just about anybody to do the job right now you might remember we talked about a game took place back in November an OHA Junior A game in St. Catharines between Toronto Marlboros and St. Catharines Blackhawks in that game Marley's defenseman Steve Durbano was charged with assault after being entangled with a St. Catharines police officer by the name of John Smith. As it turned out, after that game, Marley's coach Gus Bodner received a summons as well, charging him with assault. He got the, the summons when uh, St. Catharines arrived to play in Toronto again this past week. Now, this all comes from an incident in which uh, Durbano was thrown out of the game. He was headed to the dressing room, and somehow he and the officer engaged in some sort of a scuffle. Durbano was briefly arrested, then he was let go, but told he would be uh, getting a summons for a charge, and that's what happened when 
it was learned that Gus Bodner, the coach, was going to be summonsed as well. Both Bodner and Durbano have laid common assault charges against the police officer John Smith. The summons were for Smith charging Bodner with assault. It's just a counter, a counter charge, and this will all be worked out, as these things always are in 1970, long before a lengthy and ugly trial takes place. You can bet somebody will be pleading guilty, and the somebody will not be police officer John Smith. And another fairly well-known hockey personality is in trouble with the law this week as well. Uh, You might remember former National Hockey League linesman George Hayes. Well, he's facing criminal charges in Grimsby, Ontario. George was at a junior C hockey game there as a spectator and not a member of either team that was playing. And he was arrested after uh, what their police are calling a dressing room incident after the contest. George was released on a summons to appear in court, and again, the charge is probably going to be causing a disturbance. And here's yet another another story of the the uglier side of the game. It seems like tempers are short in every league and every city around hockey this week. Lots of this kind of stuff going on. This one involves Hamilton Red Wings coach Eddie Bush. And if you follow junior hockey in the 1960s and 70s, you know about Eddie Bush. He's always been known as a fiery guy. He'd thrown chairs on the ice. Uh, he's gone after referees, all that kind of stuff. Well, this week, he was ejected from an OHA Junior A Series game at Treasure Island Gardens in London, Ontario, after he went after a timekeeper. This time, though, Eddie gets the benefit of the doubt from me, and it's because of a referee who had a lot of trouble in those days by the name of Tom Smith. Tom refereed a little bit in the NHL, a lot in the American Hockey League, and mostly in junior, and wherever he refereed, controversy seemed to follow. Now, in this particular game, there was a brawl in the first period between the London Knights and the Hamilton Red Wings, and most of the players on the ice when the brawl started ended up getting major penalties and misconducts, and so the penalty bench became very crowded. These penalties ran into the second period, Although everything that had happened seemed to confuse not only the timekeeper, but referee Smith. So at the end of the first period, after reassessing all the penalties that he had meted out to both teams, he decided that a power play that was supposed to take place against Hamilton would not, in fact, take place and the teams would start the second period at even strength. Sounded like a a good period. Sounded like Eddie Bush would be happy with that. But that isn't what happened. Tom's instructions to the timekeeper during the intermission were, according to timekeeper Joe Pellish, confusing at best, and he misunderstood Smith's intentions. So he had Hamilton starting the period a man short. I don't know why Smith didn't count the players, but somehow... The players went to the penalty box and Pellish had a player stay in the penalty box and Hamilton starts the period a man short. Well, Eddie Bush saw this and he was livid. His team is involved in a nip and tuck uh, duel to the death playoff race and he didn't know what to do. He was he he was beside himself, so he went over, started yelling at Tom Smith. Tom Smith... Uh, kind of begged ignorance on the play. So he, Bush went after the timekeeper, who simply said, I'm following the referee's orders. Bush didn't take no for an answer from the timekeeper and proceeded to beat the guy up. So the referee ejected Bush, and that was that. No word on a suspension as we go to press this week. We'll see what happens with Eddie Bush. But you can bet he's probably going to miss the rest of the season. Now, there are rumors going around that the Hamilton team is about to be sold. And the person who's about to make an offer to buy the team, a fellow by the name of Nick Durbano, who's from Toronto. 
Nick Durbanel. Now, we all know about Gump Wilson sitting on the sidelines for most of this season after refusing to report to the Montreal Voyageurs of the American Hockey League. Lots of speculation that Gump is through with hockey for good. He told the Canadians he's retired, although from what we understand, official retirement papers never have been filed. And a lot of people think that Gump probably will hang him up at the end of this season. But a lot of people think that Gump will be back. A Buffalo reporter asked Worsley if he would be interested in playing for one of the two new expansion teams in Buffalo and Vancouver next season. Gump told the reporter that he wouldn't mind playing for Buffalo, but it's going to cost him a lot. Probably going to cost him a lot more to get him all the way out to the West Coast in Vancouver. But knowing Punch Imlac, if Gump is not protected in the uh, expansion draft, and I don't know why Montreal would protect him. He could be picked up by by the Buffalo team, I think, and he'd probably enjoy playing for Imlac, who seems to have a penchant for older veteran players and almost willing them to be successful. By the way, the Buffalo team named their assistant general manager this week, and he is Freddie Hunt, who is the current general manager with the Buffalo Bisons American Hockey League team. Emlach said that Hunt will, quote, be my Clancy, referring to the Leafs King Clancy, who was Punch's right-hand man for so many years with the Maple Leafs. So that's Freddie Hunt getting a job with the NHL team that's coming in next fall. For anyone who's wondering how the CBS Saturday afternoon games of the week are are doing this season, the NHL says the ratings are up 50% over last year's number. Now, one witty Toronto guy, a writer who will remain anonymous, said, so they went from nobody's watching to maybe somebody's watching. We'll see how the games go as time goes on. It's going to take time for American uh, folks to get used to watching hockey. And uh, it'll it'll take some promotion and a little more visibility to make this a really profitable enterprise for any American network. We'll have to see how this uh, evolves. Now we're in February and that means baseball training camps are going to be opening in uh, just a few days in some cases, uh, pitchers and catchers anyway reporting. So there's a little baseball news we thought we'd tell you about this week because uh, baseball faces a lot of the same issues that hockey does, a lot of crossover in some of those. Well, this week we got we got a couple of really interesting things to talk about. Three three items actually to uh, mention. The first one is an amazing trade that almost but never quite happened, and a story outlining uh, for what in 1970 was I would have been an amazing occurrence, a proposed new ownership for the New York Yankees, and we have a baseball star that's in some trouble with gambling. Now, first, uh, <laughs> the major trade. This, this, this is a doozy. How's this? This is, this is really something. Before the 1969 baseball season, a deal was almost consummated where the entire Chicago White Sox baseball team would have been traded to Oakland for all of the Oakland Athletics baseball players. And that includes slugger Reggie Jackson. Also coming in the deal would be $15 million. Now, how could something like that take place? Well, Arthur Allen, who's a farmer, former part owner of the White Sox, explained that Allen would have sold all the White Sox personnel, major and minor leagues, to an Oakland group for $15 million. And he would have turned over to Finley the Chicago franchise and Comiskey Park. So Charles O. Finley, who was the owner of the athletics, would have divested himself of his interest in that team to the group 
that got $15 million. Finley would then have given the franchise to the Oakland group, who would then have a team composed of guys from the White Sox like Louis Aparicio and Joel Horland. All the Oakland player assets would then be transferred to the new Finley franchise in Chicago. This this would have been mind-boggling, and they really discussed it seriously. In fact, there was only one thing that stopped this trade from happening. See, Finley always wanted the White Sox. He's from Chicago originally. He tried to buy them. He couldn't get it. He had finally, at long last, found a way to own a team in his hometown, but one small part wasn't considered and they didn't see this coming. The brother of Arthur Allen, John Allen, was the other part owner of the White Sox franchise, and he simply refused to sell. He just said, nope, I'm not going for it. I don't want to sell my part in the team. He Later he did, but he didn't, and the deal fell through. Now, there was also another part of this deal that a lot of people never ever did hear about, and that's at Milwaukee was going to buy the White Sox franchise and move it there. That was, of course, before the Seattle fiasco began, which ended up with the Pilots moving for the Brewers. They almost got the White Sox as a result of this convoluted three-city deal that only failed because one fella didn't want to sell his part, a minority owner as well. That's the deal that almost was. Now, this next story was was really crazy, but the person who brought this uh, to the news is very credible. There was a story out of Miami this week that there was a possible sale of the New York Yankees franchise to a group headed by a number of African Americans, and none other than icon Jackie Robinson told us about the story. Jackie said that he had been approached by the New York Yankee president Mike Burke regarding the possibility of an all-black ownership of a major league team, that team being the Yankees, Jackie said that he thinks a shortage of Negro dollars and front office savvy make it realistic. And I'm quoting the story here from the Associated Press who interviewed Jackie Robinson. Jackie said, personally, I have no desire to return to baseball. Jackie's 45 now, his hair is solid white at this point in his life. He says, I even hate going to games, bucking traffic, and trying to sit still for three hours. Sometimes I look at a game on TV before I can turn it off when I get bored. I just can't sit through a whole game. Jackie said that Burke never mentioned the Yankees by name, but he was just uh, sort of feeling him out. But it was clear through their conversation that they were talking about the New York Yankees. Can you imagine the headlines that would have been around in that time in 1970 to have a group a group of black people buying the legendary Yankees franchise? That would have been something I, I really would have been interesting to see. And it would have been good to see Jackie Robinson get back into baseball in, in some important capacity. I always felt that baseball missed the boat by not bringing him back uh, and giving him a more prominent role than he ever had after he retired. And one more baseball tidbit this week, and I don't know where this is going to go. We're just going to have to follow this one. Uh, Major League Baseball Commissioner Bowie Kuhn is investigating Detroit Tigers star pitcher Denny McLean for some sort of an uh, alleged involvement with a nationwide gambling syndicate. Now, as you know, ever since 1919 and the Black Sox scandal, Major League Baseball has been very self-conscious about any of their players being involved with gambling. So when this news surfaced, Kuhn got on it right away. 
There's talk that there are other sports like football, hockey, and basketball also being involved in this gambling syndicate. And we do have word that there have been some people who've asked hockey officials to have a look at at some people in hockey being involved in this as well. So we'll have to stay tuned with this and see just how far this is going. Just as the story went to press, there was a rumor that Kansas City Chiefs quarterback Len Dawson, of course, with the Chiefs, just won the Super Bowl in 1969, sorry, 1970. Len Dawson may be involved in this same group. Dawson was reached for comment. He said, there's nothing to the story. Stay tuned on this one. And this is the time during the week when we usually talk about a hockey personality that we've chosen to profile for this week. And uh, the guy we're having a look at this week is one of hockey's more unique characters in 1970. He's the guy who was the number one goaltender for the Toronto Maple Leafs in the 69-70 season. And that would be Bruce Gamble, often known as Paladin or Smiley Burnett. Now, every time I think of Bruce, the word beleaguered comes to mind. That's a word that described Bruce to a T during his time with the Maple Leafs, and especially during that awful, awful 1969-70 season. He played 52 games for a very bad Toronto team, and very often when you're watching the Leaf games on TV, if you saw close-ups of Bruce, uh, it showed a man who personified the word beleaguered. He took shot after shot after shot after shot. Always seemed to look like he was just near death's door, but yet he hung in there all the time and made the saves that needed to be made. Of course, Bruce at this point didn't wear a face mask, so all of his emotions were on display for the world to see. Now here's a bit of a quick uh, clip that we have of some of Bruce's work during the 1969 season, as described mainly here by Hockey Night in Canada, play-by-play man, Bill Hewitt. Finally goes loose to Westfall to Orr, and that shot was stopped by Gamble. Over the blue line, a shot. Gamble gloved it, juggled it a bit. Westfall centering it. Derek Tannison gets one shot at another, and he missed the target. Now, Bruce Gamble was, to say the least, a really, really interesting guy, a man who marched to the beat of his own drum. Bruce was born in Port Arthur, Ontario, now part of uh, the city of Thunder Bay, on May 24th, 1938. Played all his minor hockey in Thunder Bay and then started playing junior hockey for his hometown team called the North Stars before moving to the Ontario Hockey Association Junior A League with the Guelph Biltmore Mad Hatters. That was in 1956-57 where a few of his teammates were Bill Sweeney, Doug Robinson, and Eddie Shack. He actually made the OHA Junior A first all-star team in 56-57. Had a great rookie season in the league. And other goalies in that league that he beat out were Jacques Caron, Ross Brooks, Roy Edwards, and Ken Broderick. Playing for Guelph meant that Bruce had signed a C form with the Rangers during his teenage years. And that made him New York property for as long as they wanted to have him. They sent him to Guelph where he played very well, and in the 1958-59 season, the Rangers turned him professional, assigning him to the Vancouver Canucks of the Western Hockey League. Bruce had another amazing rookie season. He was the Western Hockey League's Rookie of the Year, leading the league in shutouts, and uh, he was also made his NHL debut in that first professional season when he was called up to the Rangers for two games on February 11th and 12th while incumbent Gump Worsley was out with an injury. Now Bruce lost both the games but he didn't play poorly. He gave up six goals over the two contests for a tidy average for a rookie of 3.00 goals against per game. 
whatever he did in that game, his play caught the eye of the Boston Bruins management. And this next summer, when the Rangers failed to protect him in the intra-league draft, the Bruins plucked him from the Rangers list and decided they were going to give him a chance with the team. Well, he didn't make the team right off the bat. Uh, he spent one season with the Providence Reds of the American Hockey League. But uh, during the 1960-61 season, when the Bruins and regular goalie Don Simmons got off to a positively terrible start, Gamble was called up, Simmons was dispatched to Providence, and Bruce took over as the Bruins' number one goalie. But this Boston team they were worse at that time than the Leafs were in 1970, and Bruce's record wasn't stellar, but that was more of a result of the team in front of him. Nonetheless, the Bruins, uh, even though Bruce didn't play that poorly, decided to bring in yet another goalkeeper the next season, so Gamble was loaned to the Portland Buckaroos of the Western Hockey League uh, so they could bring in Portland's goalie, a fellow by the name of Don Head. Well, Don Head was a good minor league goalie, wasn't quite good enough for the NHL. That experiment didn't work, and Gamble was back in Boston before the end of the season. Bruins didn't really uh, think they were sold on Bruce, so they ended up trading him to the Springfield Indians of the American Hockey League, the team owned by the legendary Bruins defenseman Eddie Shore. Eddie was a legend as a player, but legend for another reason as an owner. He was awful. Any player who played for the uh, Springfield Indians in that period of time will tell you it was probably the worst experience of their hockey lives. Bruce was no different. He hated playing for Orr so much before the next season would begin, he went home and refused to report to the Indians. Shore refused to get rid of him, so Bruce sat out a year. Well, the next fall, Punch Imlach, running the Maple Leafs, he was looking for some goaltending depth for the organization, and he noticed that Gamble, with whom he'd always been impressed, was not yet playing again for the Springfield Indians. So Punch called up his old friend Shore, and he offered a couple of minor leaguers named Johnson and Smith for the goalie Gamble. Now, Shore jumped at the offer, happy that he could get two live bodies for a guy not even playing. And Eddie was even more delighted because he figured, well, he was getting one of the Leafs' young goalies, Al or Gary Smith. The laugh was on Eddie Shore this time. Punch didn't tell Eddie that the Smith he had in mind was a journeyman minor league forward by the name of Bill Smith. And at this point in his career, Bill was injured as well. So when Bill Smith and Larry Johnson, the other fellow, arrived at Springfield, Shore was livid and demand that Punch send him one of the goalies, Smith, but the names and the positions never were discussed. So Punch simply said, send both guys back to me and you can have a gamble back. We know he ain't going to play for you. Of course, Shore reconsidered, saying at least Larry Johnson would be a decent acquisition. And Larry was a good player. He ended up playing in the NHL for several teams. Gamble came to the Leafs, was whipped into shape, and he was badly out of shape at that point by Imlac. And of course, the rest is history. So that's how Bruce Gamble became a Maple Leaf. Now, he bounced up and down between the Leafs, Tulsa, and American Hockey League Rochester for a couple of years, but he finally came to stay in Toronto in 67-68 when he shared the goaltending duties with the aging Johnny Bauer. He stayed with Toronto until February 1st, 1971, when he was traded to the Philadelphia Flyers from the Maple Leafs, along with Mike Walton and a draft pick for another goaltender, Bernie Perrant, and another draft pick. Bruce finished that season with Philadelphia and started the 1971-72 season with the Flyers, but his career came to a sudden end when he suffered a heart attack while playing in a game for Philadelphia on February 9th, 1972. Bruce did recover from that heart attack, although he never did play another professional game. It was right at that time he called it quits, but he didn't leave hockey altogether. Bruce 
loved the game. Despite what you might have thought of the way he looked when he played, Bruce Gamble loved playing hockey, and he continued to do so, remaining active in old-timers hockey, playing that game that he loved for another 10 years. Unfortunately, Bruce succumbed to another heart attack in Niagara Falls, Ontario, at the age of 44, while playing a game of old-timers hockey. Bruce Gamble was known as a great guy, liked by his teammates. He had a couple of very colorful nicknames that we mentioned at the beginning here, Paladin and Smiley Burnett. Now, the Paladin nickname was given to him for the TV series Have Gun, Will Travel, which starred Richard Boone, by the way. Uh, someone mentioned uh, that the much-traveled Bruce Gamble was like the, ca- the uh, character Paladin, Have Pads, Will Travel. And his name, Smiley Burnett, arose from Bruce's remarkable likeness to another character of the big and small screen, a fellow whose name was Smiley Burnett, and he was known as a comical side, the singing cowboy, Gene Autry. So that's our show this week, everyone, and uh, we did learn a few things, I think. Well, we learned that Scotty Bowman is not a patient guy as he performed the shakeup on his uh, not very enthusiastic St. Louis Blues Hockey Club. We learned about a season-ending injury, a freak injury to NHL goalie Doug Favell, and we learned about a baseball superstar becoming a central figure in a gambling investigation. Could there be a hockey connection to all this? Next week, we'll be back with more news and notes from the 1969 NHL season and some of the stories we're working on include the Habs general manager Sammy Pollock admitting that the Montreal Canadiens dynasty is coming to an end or was he really serious about this we'll learn about Wayne Mackey's testimony at his assault trial from that stick swinging duel with Ted Green back in September at an exhibition game in Ottawa And we're going to learn what they're going to call the new NHL team in Buffalo. So please join us next week for another 50-year trip back in history to 1970. The 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast is produced by Andy Cole. Our introduction music is by the Toronto Indie Group, the Rural Alberta Advantage. And if you ever get a chance to see him live, it's well worth your time. Uh, other musical pieces are from and sound effects are by Andy Cole as well. And our research comes from files from the Toronto Star, the Toronto Globe and Mail, and all the fine publications at newspapers.com. Another very worthwhile podcast I highly recommend is the Let's Write a Song podcast by Andy Cole. Each week, Andy and a special guest engage in some great conversation, usually about Winnipeg, where they live, and also they write a song which they perform at the end of each show. The interesting part of all this is not all the guests are musicians, and the results of the songs they come up with are very interesting and really quite entertaining. Give it a listen. You can find us on Twitter at at Hockey50Years and on Facebook under the 50 Years Ago in Hockey uh, moniker and at our WordPress site, hockey50yearsago.com. Of course, you can always get the podcast through your favorite podcast app and at Spotify. Thanks again for tuning in, everyone. We'll see you next time. When the-